welcome to the Spark to Your Success. My name's TJ Dow and I believe that we all have a bright spark inside. When you find yours and light it up, not only do you light up inside, which feels amazing, but you'll light up the world around you, allowing other people to feel that amazing too. The Spark to Your Success podcast is designed to bring you a little inspiration, a little bit of insight and some positivity into your day. This week we are continuing our career subjects, but rather than talk about jobs this week, I want to talk about business, setting up your own business or at least sowing that seed. So whether you are young people listening or they're young at heart, of course, there's always a good time to consider why work for somebody else? Why not work for yourself? So today, my great pleasure to be interviewing a gentleman named Gavin Howard, who is a bit of a serial entrepreneur, as you'll discover. Okay, so um, I'm currently what's called a fan media producer and app developer. So I spend most of my time um, producing or developing apps and maintaining, creating platforms for different clients uh, around the world. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. Um, in the past, I've made animatronic dinosaurs. I've made uh, animated videos and films. Um, um, we've, we've had businesses uh, running um, uh, greyhound races. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, and what, uh, what I'm very proud of is um, uh, the, the first BSL books library for um, young deaf children so that they could uh, read um, uh, their favourite books and stories in their first language, which is, uh, which is sign language as opposed to English. So what I love about that is that, and that's one of the reasons that I wanted you to be on the podcast today, is that... It isn't that you have to choose one thing and stick to one thing. And I think that's important for young people to hear because I'm going to ask you to take me back to school in a moment. Is that some of our, <laughs> our young listeners will be still in educa- education and being asked that question. It's like, you know, it's like, what are you going to do in the future? Like it's the big decision and you've got to make the one decision because you've only got one chance at getting this right so you better make sure you choose your options correctly so I know it might have been a year or two ago (laughs) (laughs) I think think Queen Victoria was still um, on the side (laughs) take us a few years to Gavin Howard at school choosing his options yeah well um, I, to be honest, I, I did struggle with uh, with the options because I wanted to do them all. Um, I wanted to do biology, physics, and chemistry, history, and geography, and music, and art. And uh, having to choose between them was really quite tough. Um, but one thing um, that I've definitely um, seen over time is that. Um, the choices we make at any given point in our lives um, are for that moment and for that moment alone. Um, so if we think we're interested in a particular subject and we decide to take those subjects at school and we then go on to university or college, we may find that actually that subject 
really doesn't suit me at all. I'm really bored with it now, actually. <laughs> um, the great thing is you can change. You can change it. And um, most of the, of the decisions that we make um, are transient. Uh, and they will last for a certain amount of time. Um, I think gone are the days of lifelong career. Um, when I was younger, um, we were we were told to choose subjects that would then lead on to the appropriate, let's say, O level. We it would lead on to the appropriate A levels. That would lead on to the appropriate university uh, or college course or program, and then you would choose a career. So you would choose banking or you would go to become a teacher or you'd become a mechanic. And then that is what you would do forever. Um, and I think for many people in the past, that was the case. Now it isn't. And one of the things that we've definitely seen over the last, certainly the last two decades more prominently than any other, um, Many of the jobs that people will be working in and many of the careers that people will be working in have not been invented yet. So um, I introduce myself at the moment as an app developer. That didn't exist as it currently stands now. Yes, we were developing software and able to develop software. 30 years ago, um, uh, but the app store and apps as we've come to know them that are used on mobile devices or on uh, uh, tablets um, didn't come into existence until 2008. Um, and uh, so we're now 12 years into uh, that and um, yeah, there are millions of app, app developers. Um, so I, I think that, I think that's fascinating. Um, it's it's a it's a really interesting uh, shift in the jobs market, and that we don't know what's around the corner. I think we will all need to continually retrain, and that's something that's starting to shift now. For many years, it's always been uh, that education is at the front end of your life in your youth. And then you go and get a job, and you, then you do that for forever and a day. Um, and then you um, start to build your family and get other financial responsibilities, and that then makes it more difficult for people to retrain or go back into education. I think that's that's changing, and we will perhaps continuously need to continue learning. And so. Whatever decisions I may be facing right now, uh, 13, 16, 18, 23, um, uh, they will be for a certain amount of time. And um, you'll then be able to change your mind and do something else. <laughs> um, and I've had a fantastic time doing uh, that. Um, I've often been presented with business opportunities or ideas that have just come up out of the, that, that appeared out of the blue. Mm. You, you, you literally don't know they're coming and you sit down and you think, oh, that's a really good idea. Um, how do I make an animatronic dinosaur? Um, <laughs> take back, so come back to school for me. Sure. Yeah. Chosen your options. 
yeah, so for, for me, that was, um, um, I did have to drop geography and I did have to drop music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that so now I have a, a saxophone and a, a drum kit in my spare room. Of course, because you never really have to drop anything. You just exactly. not choose it as an option at school. Yes, yes. At that moment, exactly. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't choose it later. So you did your O levels. You went to college. I did. Um, uh, I trained in technical theatre arts and management. It was one of the first courses of its type. Um, I did a deal with my mum and dad um, <laughs> because my dad was a teacher um, and so for, for them education was very, very important. Um, and uh, so the deal I made, rather than going on to do multiple A-levels at school or in sixth form, the deal was that if I got offered a place early at uh, the uh, Coventry Centre for Performing Arts to learn technical theatre arts and management. I would do two A-levels at night school. So that's what we did, because I did get off of the place. Um, and that was a fantastic programme. It was a great course um, because it covered so many different industries. We were taught uh, carpentry, we were taught how to edit sound files, sound tapes, which of course was all um, physical then. We were splicing tapes with razor blades and sticking them back together with sticky tape. Uh, <laughs> uh, initial video editing, um, so uh, again, uh, done physically, not digitally. Um, costume making, voice, um, we did set design, lighting design, electric. Um, all, all of these things were um, uh, are a part of theatre, which is um, why I think the theatre industry is so wide and varied. And later on in life, I actually repeated that with a special effects company that we had. And, and that again has so many different industries, um, uh, all bent on making a film, you know, creating new right. illusions. Um, yes. uh, so I moved, I moved from uh, school to college, and then um, from college, I, I, I did obligatory bar work in the second year of college. I was able to glass collect. <laughs> um, so that, that, that was technically a job. Glass collecting. Yeah, that was technically a job. And in my summer holidays, I used to clean the uh, government buildings, which had just been dealing with the aftermath of Chernobyl, which the um, oh younger viewers can, uh, I'm sure they'll have seen the drama recently. <laughs> um, so that was, that was all fascinating. Um, I got to learn how to use a buffet machine. Um, and uh, then I worked in a, um, a social club to, to make a big glass collecting. And at the end of my course, the college offered me the resident technician's post. I thought, well, that looked good on the CV. I'll, I'll take the job. So I did that for a year. And during that year, we set up our first business, which was, um, uh, which was a theatre company. So tell me about you're in your first job, in the first year of your first job, and then yeah. you decide to set up your own business. Yeah, um, uh, well, it was, uh, wow, yeah, why, why did I do that? Why, why, what, yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was the opportunity? How did the opportunity go, go about? How did, like, what went through your head to go, oh my gosh, like, yes, let's have my own business? Or was it daunting? Or like, 
how old were you? I was 18. 18. Um, I was 18. Uh, so it was myself, Morgan, Keith, and Tim. Um, and Tim got offered um, a job on Starlight Express. So basically, I'd seen, uh, I'd run a number of shows as, you know, as part of the college work uh, that we've done. And two of the upcoming actors that were, were still learning while I was the resident technician, I thought were really good. So I kind of spied them as talent and thought, I, you know, I'd really like to work with them and do some interesting theatre. I was inspired by um, Stephen Burkhoff at the time and another theatre company called Snarling Beasties, which was a very physical company that we'd seen at the um, uh, Edinburgh Festival and they'd won several of the awards. And they, um, uh, and they were also uh, based in the West Midlands. So we thought, well, it'd be great to work with them. It'd be great if we could come up with a show that they might want to come and watch. <laughs> um, and it'd be great to go and do a show at the Edinburgh Festival. So we thought, okay, how, how do we do that? Okay, we need a business. It, it needs to be a business. So what do we need then? <laughs> what, what, what's this business stuff all about? So we were really, we were really lucky uh, because we then got in touch with two different groups of people. Uh, one was the Prince's Youth Business Trust, and the second was the Cooperative Development Agency. And uh, I believe uh, similar organisations still exist that are there to assist with young people and, and startups. The Prince's Youth Business Trust. Uh, gave us a grant to buy technical equipment that we needed and the cooperative development agency helped us work out what kind of business we wanted to be um, because that's one of the first decisions you have to make is am I doing this for um, a group of shareholders uh, so is my company limited by share or am I doing it for the benefit of all the employees are we are we all working together so that was the cooperative structure um, so we chose that one and we chose a structure that could also get um, grants from the arts council um, uh, so again one of the things to consider if you're thinking about business is where might i be able to get finance from uh, so we then were able to develop a show quite quickly we got a commission uh, to create a play about ageism, uh, <laughs> which um, yeah, that was that was fascinating because we were quite young at the time. Yeah, <laughs> and we, the show was ageism, yeah. but you were yeah. young. <laughs> you're kind of nineteen, and you're talking about ageism. Um, but of course, you know, when you start to look at these things, that was the fascinating thing about you know running the theatre company is that, um, uh, the issues that we got to look at, that we were asked to look at eventually really really did they really were enlightening so this was about ageism it's like well okay there's ageism where um uh, people look at old people and treat them in a particular way that may be negative but there's also ageism towards young people and ageism, ageism towards middle-aged people <laughs> in actual fact ageism is quite right wherever you look at it whichever age you are yeah yeah and, and we, yeah, we'd never thought of that. We'd, we'd never considered that until we came to write a play about it. 
So that, that was, you know, that was really fascinating. We then thought, okay, so um, how how do we use theatre um, uh, as uh, for therapy? Um, so we trained in sociocognitive drama therapy and worked with um, a company called Geese who uh, were wanting to stop working with probation services and wanted just to work in prisons. So they wanted to take um, your higher level crime um, and challenge and, uh, uh, and work with those uh, those kinds of criminals. Um, and they wanted a, a, a young and energetic team to take over uh, the, the probation sector. Um, so that was fascinating. Um, so we started doing that, working in probation and in prisons. Um, and we then took some of that learning and work and we then started working for the Home Office, um, working in schools, looking at bullying and um, sexual health. And um, uh, then we had a load of riots in the West Midlands. So um, we were asked to work with you know, the people that had been rioting to see you know, why all that happened. So again, all of these things evolved, working from one project, moving to another. We didn't start out thinking, we're going to work for the Home Office. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, um, uh, we didn't start out thinking, we're going to perform on HMS President, which is a big ship on the Thames for Prince FM. Wow. And that all came through, you know, just responding to queries and, and, and you know, people asking, what do you think about this? What, you know, would you, could you research this and uh, do a little, you know, do a show on uh, and that side of things. So, um, so that moved. Uh, we, we did do the show in Edinburgh, by the way. <laughs> uh, we, we did actually do um, a show that's all about violence in society and, uh, and whether uh, video games were um, reflective or creative, you know, <laughs> uh, which was, um, again, really serious issues, but in a, in a fascinating way. Um, but we ended up doing a, um, a show called People Pie. They actually looked at 37 different issues, um, which we think was a record. And young people and schools and everybody we worked with really enjoyed it um, because um, uh, because it was energetic, it, it, it fully involved, it was a fully interactive experience and show. Um, and it was talking about issues that we were all facing because obviously we weren't much older than the people we were working with at the time. And we realized that we'd only be able to do that for so long because there would be a time limit before ages and crept in and we'd get right. too old. <laughs> so that's when we started looking at, okay, so can we can we video it? Can we create a video um, that means we wouldn't have to keep doing the show? We tried that and it was pants. It was really bad. The worst thing we've ever done. It was terrible. So that's a minute you can yeah. Not everything goes right. That, that's a good message. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not everything goes right. But, um, but we, we had to work out why it was so bad, why it was so wrong. And, and we did work. And it was because we'd lost the interactivity. Yes. Just at that moment, uh, we heard about a new technology that was coming out called CD-ROM. CD-ROM. Um, early 90s. 
this technology was coming out where you could, for the first time, have interactive video. It was the size of a postage stamp on your computer screen, um, but it was fast. It was a fascinating idea, and that's where uh, my affinity and uh, love of computers. Um, uh, so was that your transition then from acting into more the computer side? Yeah, well, we certainly from. Uh, I mean, I've always. I've always been on the technical side. I've done. Um, I, I ended up doing an amount of uh, performance um, because we needed an extra, uh, an extra character. <laughs> um, uh, and I, you know, I, I love doing that. It was, that was fascinating. But um, I've always been on the technical side, and so it, it was a natural progression for me. Um, it, it, yeah, it's not completely normal to move from uh, you know, a live stage environment to a, a recorded environment and then starting to look at how, um, as things move forward, how we could edit video. Um, so that led to us having, well, we had, we had a, a business that was selling streaming online. Um, so that was for you know, big companies in, uh, in London and, uh, and across the UK before the days of YouTube <laughs> and before you could do it yourself. Mm. Um, you know, that, that work led to a business doing you know, that. Um, we um, then started creating DVDs, which led to us developing the digital technology um, that was used in the Walking with Dinosaurs exhibition, which was opened by the Queen in 2000. Um, and... That then led to a different opportunity where the museum that had been responsible for developing that exhibition with the BBC then decided they no longer wanted to do touring exhibition. Uh, so there was an opportunity to take on that business and develop new exhibitions. Um, uh, so we thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's have a let's have a little whirl. Let's have a so, let me just pause for a moment. So, we left school, we had a job in a bar collecting glasses. <laughs> and we carried on college and we did some A levels at night school, and then you got your first job. And then, after a year, started your first business, which was a theatre company. And, yeah. uh, and that went into prisons and probation services and schools and performed in front of Princess Anne and went to Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> and then that transitioned into a really bad video <laughs> which then got you into video production and yes. streaming yeah. so that was a different business the streaming video business was separate yeah okay yeah. So, that, um, it was, so that was your next business um Actually, there were a couple in between. There were a couple before that. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. now we're in the video business, which then morphed into streaming, which then came an opportunity to make dinosaurs. Ultimately, yes. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> um, and, then, and then there was um, we had a special effects company that worked on King Kong. Um, over in New Zealand, we had um, Marry Yourself Books, which was um, a charitable um, company that was developing books for young people who are deaf 
um, who had no way of actually um, uh, reading the stories that we all grew up with uh, in their native language, which is British Sign Language. So we thought that was uh, order and needed to be sorted. So, um, so that led to another project business. And I think that's what we've done a lot of. And this is, uh, I suppose it's one of the things that many people look at businesses as if they are going to be around forever. Yes. And the, rea the reality is that businesses aren't around forever. And the majority of businesses um, uh, can be around for quite a short time um, because they're meeting a particular need at a particular time. So um, you have to be ready for the next challenge, the next business, the next idea, and be open to it. And that's the thing that's been most exciting for me over the years is being able to you know, be very lucky and able to do that. So whenever we've come up with another idea, we've explored it. And we um, sometimes that meant setting up a new company to try something out. Uh, sometimes that's worked incredibly well. Sometimes it hasn't. Um, and again, you have to you have to treat each business independently um, of all yeah, all the others if you're running several at the same time. Now let me just ask you this question, just for the benefit of my audience listening: How many businesses have you had? Thirty-two. <laughs> I love that because it's like what I admire about that is go with the opportunities when they present themselves, which you said. Um, and also, if it doesn't work out, well, so what? Like, that's not the end of the world. It's not a failure. It's like, where's the next opportunity? Because that's just a lesson to take with me to the next business. Absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, for, for many people, jobs will be the same. Mm. Um, where in the past we were, we may have had a job for life and stayed with one company for 20, 30, 40 years. And that's very unlikely to be the case nowadays. Um, I was speaking to a, a friend who is in recruitment. And they said that the average length of time at the moment is one year and then they're ready for the next challenge. Yes. So they've taken what they want from the company and and learn what they needed and are ready for the next challenge and so they they move on to the next business you know, which is really interesting it's a, a, again it's a shift and so uh, i think in terms of being an entrepreneur there are some businesses that we can run for decades and there are some businesses that will run for a few years yeah. and and the beautiful thing is knowing um, or, or the challenge, I suppose, is knowing which which one you're working in, and also what kind of business that you're you're wanting to run. Whether you're running um, uh, a business that is what's called a lifestyle business, which is a business that will keep you gainfully employed, it will pay you enough money to pay your mortgage or your rent and um, uh, keep your family in money and maybe a couple of other employees with you. Um, uh, but it, it doesn't and won't ever become a Google or an Apple or a, an Amazon um, because it doesn't have the scope. 
So, you know, that could be anything from a, um, a, a craft manufacturing business um, or a, a small cafe all the way through to, you know, some kind of like software idea that you may have that you want to then sell on or you may have an idea for something which can be engineered. But then the question is, do I do I manufacture it or do I give it to somebody else to manufacture and take a small cut? One of the important things about business is that it's very easy to get lost in technical words. And at its heart, business is very easy. There is a product or a service that people want or don't want and are willing to pay for it. Those things cost money to produce and you take money from a customer and you pay out money for whatever you've needed to, to buy it, to create that product or pay for that thing. The difference is your profit. That's it. <laughs> um, and, and in a nutshell, that, that is what business is. I think it's very easy for people to get wrapped up in all kinds of other, other issues. But that is the principle. And the principle of a business is also to make profit. Yeah. And one should be proud of making profit. It's, it's not a dirty word. It's not, um, it's not a negative thing. It's a, it's a great thing. Because that profit can then be used to drive things in your community. They can, it, it can drive employment. Um, uh, not just for you and your family, but for you know, your employees or your colleagues. Mm. Um, and I, I loved it. I think they call it a portfolio career now. A portfolio think, career. Yeah. Two businesses. And I'm sure that there may be more added in coming years. <laughs> 32 may not be the finite number. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Definitely a few more to come. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So you've had small businesses, you've had very niche project businesses, you've yes. had big businesses. Yeah. So, um, so we've we've had everything from charitable companies through to um, multi-million pounds turnover companies. Um, and so it has varied according to um, the nature of the beast. Yeah, or the dinosaur. Or the dinosaur. <laughs> That's the one I get asked most about. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you yeah. do. So, in a couple of paragraphs, tell us, tell the audience about the dinosaur project because that was actually very significant. It was very high profile, and then it led to kind of from one thing to the next in terms of going on tour with that. And and then the transition again into what you're doing now, which you love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the um, basically we 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 got asked to work on the um, working with dinosaurs exhibition. So the BBC had created this program about dinosaurs that the likes of which nobody'd ever seen before. Um, they'd only we we had Jurassic Park which had some seriously realistic dinosaurs yes. and more up-to-date um, uh, like CGI, uh, like computer um, animation. And the BBC put uh, the most money that had ever been put into a TV programme into 
uh, Walking with Dinosaurs. I think it was the first series funded by the BBC that was over a million um, uh, pounds production budget. Um, so it was a big deal. It was, it was huge. Um, and uh, the Yorkshire Museum in York um, decided that it wanted to use that material as uh, as a content for an exhibition that would teach people about paleontology and the study of dinosaurs and add some more science um, uh, to the program, which was um, <laughs> so some of the program was questionable. <laughs> so they wanted to put yeah put those things out. So. Um, uh, so they decided to create this uh, fantastic exhibition, and um, uh, and they asked us to develop the DVDs um, for uh, that could be used um, as part of the installation, as part of the exhibition. So that as people walk around, um, they could have snippets of um, Stephen Fry doing the making of the um, uh, on demand. So you'd hit the button and the video would play. Um, and then in another section, we had people being able to put themselves into the picture with dinosaurs and um, using the kind of technology that um, the, uh, the the weather map does on the news. Um, and, uh, and so that we, we produced that. Um, uh, the exhibition was incredibly successful. Um, uh, we started working as a, as a team with the Auction Museum again. Uh, the sequel that the BBC then did called Walking with Beasts. Um, uh, but at the same time, the museum uh, museum structure changed. Uh, so they became, uh, they decided to be more focused on art and become more of a gallery than a natural history museum. So they decided to drop the um, touring exhibition. So there was an opportunity given to us for us to set up a business and, and take that over. Um, so that's what we did. Um, uh, so we um, we ended up uh, from doing predominantly software and video production to having to have a warehouse for a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> like dinosaurs and little dinosaurs and little sharks and giant squids and all kinds of things like that. But we also wanted to. Um, Develop our own exhibitions if we were going to carry on touring the Walking with Dinosaurs exhibition. What else could we do? Um, so we carried on working with BBC and developed a, 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 another a bunch of uh, exhibitions based on sea monsters, Walking with Prehistoric Life, which was uh, a combination of all of the Walking with. Um, and, uh, and that led to um, at the end of the 2009 that led to uh, two 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 big things um one was we were invited to um install a number of dinosaur puppets into the um uh, one of the proms at the Albert hall which um was amazing it was the, the evolution prom and so I got to meet David so David Attenborough, um, who was one of my heroes from being a kid, um, and, and and that was another reason that we, um, you know, I'd, I'd followed up on the, the dinosaurs because when I was a kid, one of the things I, you know, I, I wanted to be, to, I wanted to work in theatre, 
I wanted to be um, uh, a pilot of, a, of an airplane, um, uh, or I wanted to be David Attenborough. <laughs> um, so meeting David Attenborough um, was was fantastic. And then the following year, we'd had the big crash in two thousand seven eight, and a lot of building companies weren't building; they stopped construction. And there was a very big plot of land on Oxford Street uh, in the centre of London um, that was empty. And the residents who lived around there who, um, didn't like that it was empty <laughs> and said, you yeah, know, this is, this is Oxford Street, you know, there should be something on there. And uh, so the construction company then uh, rang us up and asked us if we could fill it with dinosaurs. Um, to which we said, absolutely not, no way, this that's huge. It's like 4,000 square meters, no way we could do that. Um, uh, but I suppose we could build you some new ones. <laughs> um, and uh, so the plot, the plot was hatched, it was top secret. Um, uh, we had literally three months to build 24 full-size um, animatronic dinosaurs, um, uh, which was done and we opened uh, in January, uh, at the end of January 2010, with a pop-up ex exhibition that had the first, um, uh, certainly the first in the UK, full-size animatronic plot. Um, so it was 32 meters long. Oh my god! Six and a half meters tall, um, and that was actually outside in the Jurassic Garden. Um, we'd actually dug a lake into the centre of Oxford Street, um, so that the Diplodocus and its baby Diplodocus um, could be um, getting a drink from the lake. And then there'd be um, another carnivorous dinosaur looking on her willy corner. Um, <laughs> and we wanted that as an open space. So that um, anybody that couldn't afford to gain into the full exhibition could actually see a number of the dinosaurs from the top deck of the bus. That's um, fantastic. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, every, every day you had a bunch of the big red buses going up uh, Oxford Street and then just be lined with yeah, school children looking through the window, um, which is fabulous. Uh, yeah, we really enjoyed that. Um, but we could only we could only have that there for um, uh, three months. Um, uh, so, uh, so it soon disappeared and now it's a massive um, retail and uh, rent you know, for rent apartments and things. Um, uh, so we did it one. We did it one more time in 2011. Um, uh, we took it to the OT, um, and so had a, a fixed space for six months uh, at the OT uh, again in London, and uh, all the dinosaurs lived there um, for a while. And at that point, I saw actually I've done enough now with dinosaurs. Um, we're not going to get any bigger, and. And I need to do something with them um, because I, I, I don't want to carry on touring ad infinitum. So uh, some of those dinosaurs can now be seen just off the A1 as you go into London in an adventure golf, like mini golf place 
um, just off the A1, uh, and there are a number of in Glasgow, kind of the uh, road bridge north up there. And that's when I thought, okay, we've done amazing things. That's a good place to end it. Um, that's the end of an era. And to move on well. again. Yes. Um, uh, and then I thought, what, what's the one thing I've not done personally? Um, what, what would I like to do now? And the answer was travel. I'd been talking to a friend of a friend who happened to be a voice coach. I said, well, have you thought about creating an app to help actors with their voice? So, again, it was, still, it was related yes. to theatre and acting and, yes. uh, and all of these things. And we decided to set up another business to create a set of apps that are now available on the App Store and Google Play. There are four of them so far, and it's called the Real Accent App. It does exactly what it says on the team. It's, um, uh, it, it helps actors learn different accents. But remember, the, the, the motivation is travel. So the rule and the thing, the reason it's called the Real Accent App is that rather than having somebody put on the accent, to teach you how to do it. We actually travelled to the place where the accent comes from. We thought, well, I've only once been to America. Let's let's do some more travelling around America. So we started with America. Um, so we got real accent in the USA. Then we did England. Then we did Celtic nations, which is Scotland, Northern Ireland, Ireland, Wales. Then we did Europe. And early next year, hopefully, um, real accent app Africa will be up. And so I've had, again, a fantastic opportunity there, meeting people all over the world. And, uh, and we didn't know if it would work. We just went, we, <laughs> we just ended up in New Orleans with somebody talking to us in a, in a hotel room. She started, uh, she started telling us these amazing stories. You know, she was talking about how much she loved New Orleans and uh, 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 how quiet it was, except for the time where she got, shot in a, in a drive-by and it was like um okay and she explained that her friend didn't make it and that's why she had a glass eye so she got shot seven times oh my god um, yeah uh, and it was so of course we got to the end of recording this story and we said well obviously we you know we won't use that because it's a deeply personal story and she just turned around and said, that was so stupid. That's exactly why I told you it. Um, of course you can use the story. And at that point, we realized it was going to work. <laughs> um, and and that, you know, we were, we were going to meet some fantastic people and get some amazing recordings. And, and yeah, we, we have done that. And, um, uh, and the apps are, the apps are great. Um, so it's a nice, nice little bit there. Um, the you know the Telfair's apps, um, and you know the more we add to the collection, obviously the you know, the, the more revenue we generate. Um, so that's you know so that's been brilliant. Uh, another project uh, manages every vehicle in two hundred thirty-seven stores across Australia, which is again <laughs> a complete complete shift. You have been out in Australia, got stuck in Australia, recently returned. <laughs> yeah. Ended up being there yeah. a little bit so longer. Yeah. And now you're back. Yeah. Now you're back. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, which is great. 
many other new adventures that are in pursuit as we speak. Yeah. Um, so if you were to give young people right now, all the way back where you started, be that 13, 15, 17, 18, 23 years old, having that pressure, what are you going to do for a job? You do a lot of career coaching at the moment and it's always like, my mum says I've got to get a good job. Okay, so what are you passionate about? What's your purpose? Young lady at the moment, love photography, love cats. Okay, great. So why are you looking for a job? (laughs) 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 Mum says I have to have a job. But you're passionate about photography and cats. Mm. (laughs) So we've had a big conversation about, well, why don't you just do what you love and love what you do and start a business photographing animals? And, you know, yeah. a really great conversation to have. So what would be your, with all of those, all of those years of experience? <laughs> it's been a few. Yes. That's fair to say, it's been a few. What would your best advice to young people be around opening up for the opportunity, the possibility of them considering having their own business? I think the decision to do it is as easy as well, am I interested in that? Am I willing to spend a few years on it? Um, and that and that is one of the things with you know with the business is that it is demanding. It, it will demand your time. Whereas for many people, a job, you know, they get in at nine o'clock and they finish at five o'clock, and that's that's their work time, and they don't do anything else. And you know, I have friends who've done that forever. You know, one who's a travel agent has never worked before 9 a.m. and has never worked after 4 p.m. in his entire life. Um, uh, and yeah, that, yeah, that makes him really happy. Um, uh, so I think when, um, if you have an idea that you want to explore and you think could make a great business, um, the, the most important thing is to um, Start looking at how you can make that real. Don't ever be afraid of words and processes because you can always learn what you need to learn in order to do what it is you want to do. If there were one thing I'd, I'd want all young people to know, it's, it's that, that you always have the capacity to learn what you need. So I hope we've whet your appetite in terms of maybe entrepreneurship is the right route for you, be that a business or maybe like Gavin, you'll go on to be a serial entrepreneur and have a number of businesses, either all at once or one after the next, who knows? Enjoy whatever it is that you choose to do. We'd love to hear about your thoughts about setting up in business. What business would you do? Which bright spark are you? So if you go to www.backontrackteens.com, then you can leave your comments and your thoughts there for us. Or if you go to www.ignition.rocks, R-O-C-K-S, you can now discover your bright spark. We launched our new website this week. Very exciting. And we will be posting more about careers. But if you want to find out your bright spot, there is a quick free quiz that you can take 
to discover that and you'll get uh, your report straight away. So you've been listening to me, TJ Dow, on this, the Spark to Your Success podcast, igniting perhaps some entrepreneurs of the future. Bye for now.